Welcome to Three Kobolds in a Trench Coat, where we look beyond the table and discuss D&D from a DM and player's perspective. We're your hosts, Meepu, Raku, and Snickle. Uh, today we have uh, Nikki from Beholder to No One on the podcast today. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thanking you. No problem. Uh, and today we are going to talk about um, some differences between running your own homebrew campaign and uh, module games. But uh, before we get into that, Nikki, do you want to do a quick little introduction to yourself? Sure. Um, like was already mentioned, my name is Nikki. I am the host for Beholder to No One. It's a D&D podcast for discussions on Mondays with Greg and I. And then Thursdays, we go back and forth between TTRPG one-shots or a 5th edition actual play horror-esque game that Greg and I play with our spouses and the DM Ryan. So lots of fun. Lots yeah. of stuff going on. <laughs> so obviously, as I, as I mentioned, um, we're talking about uh, homebrew and modules. So when I first started DMing, um, I was all about, you know modules all the way because I was like I could never homebrew anything of my own I don't know what I'm doing I'm just going to stick to the book and make it easy um but now that I've you know started gaining more experience I've started you know branching out more with 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 the homebrew side of things um even though I'm still running a Teldore campaign I still homebrew a lot of my own aspects and and gameplay and stuff so obviously we'll start with Nikki what's some of your thoughts about homebrew versus modules which which do you prefer i prefer homebrew uh when i first started i was very much a straight to the book module one shot like type person i would only look at something that somebody else made and tested and if it didn't say it could happen it would not be able to be at my table i'm like nope it doesn't say sorry nope Nope, that doesn't say you can seduce the dragon. I'm sorry, there's nothing here against that. <laughs> Can't do that. But now I have, I've been DMing now for about five or six years in fifth edition, and I feel a lot more confident and comfortable with the game. Mm-hmm. Not nearly to the point of some other players or DMs, but enough that I can do homebrew now, and I'm like, yeah, I can make this up. I could, I'll figure it out. It's fine. Let's let's yeah, that's sure. Let's let's use let me make up my own city or my own world or my own whatever and we'll go from there. Yeah. So now homebrew all the way. Yeah, I I definitely started out in the opposite direction that Meepo did. I jumped into D and D initially one hundred percent homebrew. Um, because that's the way that the friend who taught me how to play started it out you know he wasn't running any modules he just you know jumped in head first and had a crack at building his own world I mean it was uh, very heavily inspired by Warhammer 40k <laughs> uh, which we picked on picked up on a little further down the line um, not so much straight away we sort of go hang on a minute that sounds familiar I've heard that law before <laughs> but um yeah I started out with that and my first attempts at DMing were building my own homebrew world um but I've definitely delved into modules but more so in um for one shot so finding one that suited a particular theme that I wanted to run so if I wanted to run one that was maybe more puzzle based or 
I had a particular um, kind of quest that I wanted them, like wanted my players to have a go at. I would find uh, something out there that's available online uh, to run. But um, again, a lot of those were also homebrew. So I guess it kind of circled back and wasn't super modularly. Um, yeah, I've, I've never uh, run any official D&D content, but I've certainly played it. Mm. Uh, what about you, Raku? Um, I have never actually run a book campaign through, you know, whether it's Wizards of the Coast or uh, something off uh, the internet that someone homebrewed. Um, I've purely homebrewed everything in myself. Um, playing, on the other hand, it doesn't matter which is which I go through. Um, usually DMs go on their own sort of tangent when it comes to book games anyway. Um, but personally, I... Um, I'd say I prefer just to homebrew my own campaign because it gives me a lot more um, creative freedom and it allows me to pace uh, the adventure out, whether it needs to be quickened or it needs to be dragged, like a particular, um, I'd say, sit down with the um, characters if they need to roleplay a lot more. I can spread the game out like four or five more sessions um, to allow them that character development. So definitely homebrew. Hmm. Yeah, I think if the DM's good enough, eventually everything can become a little bit homebrew. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in that even if uh, you're running something out of a book, a good DM will put their own flavor into how they're running it. It's not going to be, you know, following it letter by letter and not branching out with your own ideas or running it to suit the you know players that you have at the table. Yeah, well, that leads into what my next uh, topic was, which is um, if you're running a, a module, um, like in your if you were any of you to run one, would you stick to it to a T? Now, in my experience, um, I ran Lost Mind of Fandelva, which then turned into Curse of Strahd. But in both instances, I had a player who decided that it would be a smart decision to purchase said modules and read them. Um, so even though I was running those modules, I had a tendency to take inspiration from it rather than uh, running what they suggested that we run. Hmm. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, I um, with the modules that I have run... Um, most of the time I've followed them pretty closely to what the writer has sort of intended the experience to be. But if I maybe am not a hundred percent happy with how something was planned, or I think maybe it's not going to, you know, have enough guts to it. Like it, it would be run through too quickly or something along that line. I'll um, sort of shuffle things around and piece it together in a different way. Uh, particularly if I know that there's someone in the group that I'm running it for who's maybe played that module before. I don't want the experience to be exactly the same. You know, they might go uh, not to, you know, make an effort to not metagame, but it's kind of hard not to if you know exactly what's coming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've done the same where I've, I've very heavily taken inspiration, uh, but thrown my own kind of twist into how I wanted to run it. Uh, what about you, Nikki? Um, I personally haven't ran an actual module in a while. I've The game that I'm running now is purely homebrew, and it's the first time I've done that. But even before that, it was very much a one-shot idea that I found off like DM's Guild or something like that. 
but I use I like to use it as inspiration if I would do one I actually have a a kind of story, but I wasn't DMing this one. It was my best friend who DMed it, and this was for Dragon Heist. And we f we followed the story pretty linearly, but we took so many things that should not have happened or probably wouldn't have happened because that's how our characters were RPing it. So, for example, um, I, have you guys read through Dragon Heist or played it at all? No. I've I've read a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah, I've probably... Yeah, it's seen bits and pieces, but never played it. So there's like four separate bad guys in Dragon Heist that it could be. And one of the side bad guys, his name is um, Jerlaxel. And one of our characters had a connection to Jerlaxel, so he came to our tavern at one point, and my character met him. And for some reason, and I don't know how it started, and I don't really care because it was hilarious to me that it ended this way my character started dating Jerlaxel. <laughs> so i'm dating one of the bad guys and we're just like having a thing and i was anticipating it blowing up or ending horribly when like he didn't get what he wanted and it didn't go that way it went amazingly we ended dragon heist with my character and Jerlaxel basically going off to raise a family for two to five years before we come back to the game and do Dungeons of the Mad Mage. That's so wholesome. <laughs> it was bad great. Guy reformed. Wow. Well, he was still doing bad guy stuff, but he was like... <laughs> Just on the side, he was a family man first. Right, so she found out that she was pregnant, and she's like, guy. well, I'm gonna... I'm going to go join you for a little bit. He's like, it's going to be dangerous. And she's like, I can turn into a bear. I will kill anybody who tries to take my baby. Don't worry. We got this. <laughs> uh, what about you, Record? Yeah, I I use segments from books um, and the adventure campaign, campaigns that are already uh, pre-generated. Um, but outside of that, I will scroll through. It, like, I might use um, Strahd's stats for a bad guy, but... I may not necessarily use Strahd himself. Yeah. Um, so I'll take bits from each campaign, but no, I'm purely just homebrew. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would like to run a campaign through uh, Adventure Guide, but um, I just haven't really got the drive for it. I think something that turns me off from following like a full Adventure Guide is that there's so many things to know. Mm. And if you kind of, you know say the wrong thing in the moment like a player might ask a question about something related to the law that seems pretty inconsequential and you'll give them an answer and then you know 10 pages down the track you go oh shit that's not even remotely accurate yeah um, whereas when it's your own homebrewed campaign you can say whatever you want and build that in whatever direction you so choose yeah um so or the rules lawyer might step out and say well i played Strahd before and that's not, <laughs> that's how, not it how it works. It doesn't work that way. Well, well uh, in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's been. I've actually used that a few times. This is how it happens in my game. Yeah. Well, the other thing is the the books themselves aren't necessarily organized in a way that a player thinks. So the questions they have, the book is like two chapters away from that because they're like, oh, you're not going to talk to that person yet, and then suddenly you're in the middle of a conversation. So yeah, exactly. it's a guideline, but not everybody reads the entire book from start to finish. And even if I did read that entire book, I would not remember 
where exactly the details of that conversation would be. That's exactly why uh, I'm not really drawn to running off a full, um, you know, adventure guide, but um, I like to peruse and, you know, take inspiration from the theme that that book might be going for and use that to, you know, prop up any ideas I might have coming up in my next session or in terms of my world building. Mm. Cause there's, you know, there's a lot of really um, creative ideas in a lot of those books and people might see them as a little cliche if they've you know ran that campaign yeah. before. But um, you know, if you strip it right back, there's some really interesting directions that those books can take. Yeah. I think for me, like uh, one of the biggest things is why I, even though I'm running a Teldore campaign, like for me, because I am super critical role nerd and I can remember all of the lore. Are you? Oh, you know, haven't mentioned yes. it on this show before. <laughs> I know. Never have noticed. Um, and I can recall a lot of the lore from just watching the show. Um, so that was a, a, an easier part for me. So even though, but at the same time, I'm creating my own lore to fit into Teldore as well. Mm. Um, so for me, I think the biggest reason why I haven't done my own homebrew yet is because like, I like being creative, but I like having something to base my knowledge off of. Yeah, I think there's a benefit to picking a pre-existing world. Um, like, maybe not exactly Teldore, but going with, like, the, you know, stock standard D&D world. So you've got a basis of sort of the universe that you're creating mm. your story in, but you can do whatever the hell you want because things happen on such a you know, micro scale compared to the rest of the planet that yeah. your game is running on. Even if, you know, uh, such and such happened at some point in the law, that could be totally irrelevant to the location exactly. that you have created. Could be an island that no one knows exists. And yeah. you have said, well, that, that exists now. That's part of, you know, whatever existing world I've chosen to run it in. You can you can build off a really strong foundation if you go through that route. Exactly. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> there was no question. We were just discussing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm usually zoning out. Party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. That that happens regularly on this podcast, Nikki. It's fine. Um, it but I will add to your little um, discussion there that I humble brag here. I know a lot about history, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I try to incorporate all the myths and legends that I know from around the world into what. I know as a DM. So if I know particular things are happening for particular characters, then I will follow that through. But if someone jumps up and tries to rules lawyer me, then I'm like, no, sorry, my game. This is how it runs. Mm. But um, yeah, always the best thing to do is always incorporate what you know when you do homebrew or when you do run your adventure campaigns rather than, you know, trying to find in the book and then saying no and then trying to find the book again and you go back, oh, wait, let's retcon this and, you know, if yeah. you can have a fluid-flowing adventure, then everyone just has a good time. It gets a little confusing for everybody if you're having to jump back and forth and, you know, bury your nose in a book whenever you don't know the answer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So what's everyone's creative process when they begin a completely brand-new homebrew campaign? Where, where do you start? Anyone? Nikki, do you want to kick that off? <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
Um, so with the one that I'm running currently, the first step I did was I went to a map generator online and I was like, give me a map, please. Refreshed a couple of times until I found one that looked cool. And then I sat with the map in front of me and it gave, it also had like generated names. I started to look at the map and see, okay, what parts of this what is this world going to be like? So I did some basic overall, very, very, very basic um, ideas of, okay, this area is going to be like this, and uh, this town is going to be the red light district, and then this town is going, or this continent is going to have a country that is more like China, or this country is more like um, England, and like kind of giving myself an idea, but basing it off of real life situations. And then from there, I determined where the party was going to start and built a town a little bit more in depth, not to the point of um, like having every street and building, but like, okay, the general idea of the town that they're starting in is that it's very um, kill or be killed. It You are all starting as capturees that are were found trying to just get by and are being forced to fight to the death against a gladiator style type arena. And like that kind of led to more thought processes of who's running it, who, what do you get if you win? What do you get if you lose? Like, obviously death is what you get when you lose, but like, how are they going to get out? Where is it going to take them next? And I started to just keep going from there. And it wasn't all planned. Like, that's the literally the extent of what I had planned out when it f the, for the first game. And then after that game, I'm like, okay, now let's plan out what the next thing is going to be. And I planned out the next town a little bit more. And then it kind of got to, okay, I don't know where you're going from here anymore. Because I was trying to get into the comfort of open world. And I had to take a seat back and, or step back and ask, like, what are we doing? <laughs> where are you going with this? You could go a hundred different ways. Yeah, that's a way that I like to run my games when, um, like I'll use a campaign I ran um, as an example where I set up a general idea of the way that I wanted my world to be. Like I had a little bit of history. Um, I gave my players a little rundown of like the um, political climate um, and I pretty much stuck them in a starter town right in the middle of the world and gave each of their characters a little tip off um, in terms of a quest that they might want to follow. So uh, like one of the characters um, had a noble background and had left his family because he felt you know he wanted to make a name for himself and not ride his parents' coattails. And I'd given him, um, you know, I'd said that oh, after you left your hometown, you'd seen some flyers up and heard some whispers of, uh, some kind of monster that had been um, kidnapping children from a village that was in the sort of southeast of this continent and so on and so forth. For the, Each of the characters gave them a little, little snippet of information. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would plan my upcoming sessions based on that and pretty much I would end each session doing something similar, you know, giving them little little crumbs of something that might, they might want to follow and if I knew that they, you know, I got the impression that they weren't really interested in one of those routes, I would stop planning it. You know, I'd, I'd go in with a rough idea of what 
options they had and then if they went oh yeah no we'll go do this that you know that sounds really important or we really want to go visit this place to achieve xyz um you know i would pretty much uh plan all my future sessions based on the feedback i was getting from my players you know i was kind of um tricking them (laughs) into telling me what would you like to do in this world Mm. that i've provided you yeah that's 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 a true test Mm. yeah my style of uh world creation for dming is very very plain unfortunately so (laughs) i base what happens next on the situation that they're running through now so essentially my characters may go through a town and a bit of a tavern you know have a bit of a drunken brawl but you know when they go to leave the tavern i ask the players which direction are you going south north east west Uh, are you following a track are you just going straight into the forest and then their reaction is where i plan so if they say are we going north okay so uh, you know have a look at the map what's north okay there's this this but the whole time they're role playing the you know the walk or the horse ride or the carriage ride to the next town or the you know along this road that's when i start to plan okay they're heading to this town, what's at this town, um, X, Y, Z. So, you know, a lot of my sessions were roleplay heavy, but that gave me enough time to be able to go to the next town and find out what's happening or at least prep a little bit. But I mainly run on my characters' reactions. I'd never... I don't... Sorry, I rarely have a end goal that they have to get to. It's purely as we go along. So if they want to spend about um, six of their world days or six of their world months uh, at a town setting something up, then they can do it. Mm. It's up to them. So I guess similar to what I was touching on, that you're sort of building your world based around what your players seem to want to do and what your characters are, like, angling for in that Mm -hmm. and not putting, you know, too much of your time and effort into something that they might not ever go and see. Mm. And, um, I mean, I find for me, at least personally, if I over plan what's going to happen in a session, I subconsciously railroad my car- my players yeah. a little bit, you know, I'll be pushing them towards, you know, cause I'll have in the back of my mind, you know, I've got this really cool encounter set up in this location and they're totally going to miss it. Yeah. So I'll, you know, inadvertently kind of, you push them yeah. in that direction. But I think if I go into it with, out too much of a plan you know i'll have some notes of you know what some npcs in that town might have to say um things they might find but have that almost like bullet points going into it and then just go well i've got this encounter planned um depending on where they go i can just slot that in and make it work wherever they end up well that's like Mm -hmm. my like even though i you guys know that i plan quite a lot but my planning is not in-depth planning if Mm. that makes sense my planning is more okay this is what is happening in this story arc these are some dot points i want to hit this is how it feeds into the next story arc and 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 so on so forth and like for this session i think i have about four dot points Mm. of things that could happen this session so it's like a general idea of what so you you're prepared i suppose um so that kind of leads into my next question um so how do you got how much how much do you flesh out the lore of a homebrew campaign and then also uh, the plot hooks to keep your players 
uh, active. How about you, Nikki? Um, so currently the players seem to be very chaotic in my game, which I think is a lot of games, but they had, they, t they're going like a really weird path and I didn't really know where they were going. And it kind of is my fault, I think, for leading them this way. But they're slowly, like, starting to become crime lords of a city. <laughs> and it started with, like, okay, so we, we made it to this town. And it's the red light district of the city that I, I mentioned earlier. It's completely ran by, like, multiple crime lords, which are pretty much like mafias, so to speak. And each one is responsible for one type of crime. Or So I gave them, like, an option of, here's, like, six or seven crime lords you could pick from. Which one do you think would be the most likely to fit for whatever you're wanting to do? Uh, so they went with, like, a pretty tame one that went for, like, illegal items. And I was like, I just want to stay in the city for a little bit of time in character because I worked really hard on building the city up. Is that cool? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. So I told them to tell me what they're going to spend the next four months doing in character. And we fleshed that out a lot and we built a connection with the Misk family. And it kind of led to the story arc of one of them picked a different family, which led to some interesting, possible double agent stuff and they ended up stealing like all the money from the one of the crime lords and it was really weird but now it's like it's gotten to a point where it's like gonna get super political and I really don't want to DM that so I was like okay here are your options it can go that way but if we do that one of y'all need to become a DM uh, <laughs> or we can start going on adventuring because now you're pushing a lot of buttons and so they're leaning towards, like, let's go adventure again. Mm, leave Which will be a, a nice change. My, <laughs> yeah, I leave a lot of my characters um, to have... If they want to have downtime, they can have downtime. Because uh, much like the rest of the real world, um, nothing's really focused on anyone in particular. Uh, it's only on TV shows and things like that, that, you know, you hone into like the Simpsons or, um, you know, very particular small group of people and the shenanigans they get up to. Whereas my campaigns, it's, they're just another tiefling in the world or they're just another, um, halfling, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna have adventures and everything like that, but the world does not center around them as adventurers. And if they stumble across bad guys or if they feel, Oh, I actually don't want to go near that bad guy. They don't have to. They'll just walk onto a different tavern or a plane of existence or, you know, they'll adventure wherever they want to go. So if they do come across a bad guy because they've stupidly walked into a lair, then I'll quickly uh, make something up or I'll have something prepared if I know they're going that way. But um, to me, D&D &D is very freedom base if they want to go open world they can go open world mm -hmm. yeah i like to set mine up with um you know a, a general setting but nothing in too much detail because how i like to run my D, &D campaigns is that as 
you know, these adventurers get more powerful and they start to move around the world, you know, they might start to get a little bit of a name for themselves. And in doing that, they're kind of influencing the law. I think that um, I have found that if I put too much detail into, you know, maybe how the magic works in the world or, you know, the environment in a particular city, um, then the players don't have as much influence on how that comes out. They're sort of stuck. You know, I'm just putting them in a scene and they have to then comply or, or not comply with mm. the you know environment that I've set up for them. I like to um, let them direct the law a little bit. You know, the actions have consequences and depending on when they get up to, it could, um, you know, they could do something that they think is beneficial to a particular town and it could kick off a bigger problem. So that next time they come back, they think, oh shit, you know, did we make the wrong choice? You know, or did we pick the lesser of two evils in this sense? Um, or, you know, they might do something that sets off the big bad at the end of the campaign. And, you know, I, I like to make it feel like they have, um, not so much what you were saying before Raku and that like you've got, the world's not centered around them, mm. but that they have some kind of influence on the world. Yeah. Mm. Like I use, um, I use, I do use a lot of, uh, law that people have already set up, like the Wizards of the Coast have set up that, um, and now Matt Mercer's using it in his Teldora, sorry, Exandria world, um, that the High Elves and the Drow have a long-standing uh, racial feud because their god doesn't like the other god, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I still incorporate that. So if I have Drow or a High Elf in my group, I will have them interact with uh, a Drow or a High Elf, something opposite. And there's always going to be that animosity or that bad blood. So the law plays a little bit on how they go, but they have to work out, okay, if the shop's run by a drow, we can't send our high elf bard in to get some items. They have to send someone else who can potentially work down the price, hopefully, but someone else has got to go into the shop. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. So they do have to think more outside the box than just go in, I want to purchase this, cool, get out, mm. sort of thing. So I guess my next question would be how... Um, for example, in my campaign where I have, you're in a massive story arc at the moment. So say you're running a game for players and then your players uh, are starting the arc and then they're like, yeah, nah, we're going to go off this way. So I guess my next question is, is um, when you guys have a massive story arc that's about to kick off for your players and then your players just go, nah, we're going to go this way. Obviously, that story arc is still going to keep happening. So what would you do in that situation and how would you, uh, you know, build that? I guess um, branching off what I was saying before in that, you know, I build my law based off how um, my characters will approach a situation and what actions they take. Um, I'll usually have an idea in my mind of, you know, if they choose to do nothing or if whatever they try doesn't really have much of an impact, it's still going to have an outcome. So let's just say, for example, you know, there's some um, evil necromancer hiding away in a town and when they go there, they're going to try and find this necromancer and defeat them. 
And that then might mean, okay, well then, you know, that town is safe from whatever big calamity is coming up in the world. You know, there might be three other necromancers who are posted at different towns around the world and they've then got to go find them. But if they don't manage that, then, you know, the enemies are one, you know, down one person. Um, whereas then, you know, if they don't find this necromancer or they don't follow that quest line and they go do something different, like, I don't know, they go spend a week buying bread or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's, it's relevant in a way. <laughs> Just do a I, I did have that happen. I had some players go and like buy out a local bakery and then they saved a kid and he was very afraid and they comforted him by giving him sweets and muffins and things. So... <laughs> It's not totally random. (laughs) Sorry, very specific example. Um, But, yeah, so they might go do something else that I might have in my mind that, you know, if they were to defeat that necromancer, they were going to come up with a way to, you know, revive all the dead from that town and recruit them into an army that the players were then going to have to fight later on, which will mean that then their, you know, I guess final arc of whatever they're doing at that time is going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Mm. For me, um, if my players decide to, if they've got to continue straight on and they'll run into the big bad guy that's been anticipated and they take a sudden left turn, um, I'll let them do that. I'll let them, if they want to trundle off into the world and uh, go to the bakery or whatever, that's up to them. <laughs> but um, I'll make sure that, you know, they overhear a conversation of town guards going, oh, did you hear that that town over there is now completely undead and that undead yeah. is seen heading towards us? And, you know, I'll try and filter back into what they're doing of, uh, hey, guys, don't forget this is actually happening, but I'm not railroading them to go, no, everyone's dead in the town. All of a sudden, power won't kill every single person, and now you got to head off to that. Yeah, or you get teleported to that town. You now you've got to take care of it. You can't leave. There's a magical barrier. You know, yeah. you're doing any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, if they want to do it, they can do it. But I just let them know that even though the world is still moving on around them, I still filter back into their ears. Hey, did you know that this bad guy still exists? And oh, he's still creeping off into the corner. I guess it's like what I was talking about before in like feeding them crumbs, you know, giving mm. them things that they can do, uh, you know, quest lines they can take on. And if you think that, you know, in terms of your world building, that something serious is going to happen pretty soon that they're not really addressing, you can probably make those breadcrumbs a little more frequent. Mm. Um, you know, maybe have, if they've got a particular tavern they like to visit, you know, the tavern owner might say, Hey, you guys are pretty capable adventurers. Have you heard about this thing going on? We're getting pretty worried. It's heading this way. Yeah. My game is pretty relaxed in the sense where I don't really have like an end goal right now, which is probably bad. But the I know that in my Friday game that I don't personally DM, the DM lets us go off on tangents all the time, which probably screws up a lot of things, but it also adds a lot of fun side quests. So speaking of bakeries and children, um, (laughs) we have had two separate instances, one which was a bakery and this lady made (laughs) sweet cakes and we ate her sweet cakes every morning to the point where we gave her like 20 gold almost every other day. And she had so much money that she was able to buy her own house, which put a target on her and ended up meaning her grandchild got 
stolen. Wow. But we became like best friends with her. <laughs> and we went to go find her grandson, found out he was killed, murdered his killer. And then while doing that, we rescued three other kids who then we adopted. So now we have three kids and they have a new grandma who makes really good sweet cakes. That's that's super adorable. Because we went off on a random tangent that had nothing to do with the storyline. And those are like (laughs) our favorite characters. Yeah, you can still get some really uh, memorable moments from, you know, going off the rails a little bit. Yeah. yeah, sometimes tangents so, Sometimes can tangents really are good. Yeah. yeah, I think my favourite tangent is still the sweatshop. Oh yeah, that's yeah. great. That was a really good kickoff, particularly like for this campaign. Like, getting an idea of what everyone's characters are like. Yeah, like, um, especially as, like, I don't know how many times I can say it, like, that 100% was not planned. Mm. It was just, how can I make this boring tailor interesting? Oh, there's a secret sweatshop underneath. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, Nikki, thank you for joining us. Where can everyone find you and follow you and all that sort of stuff? Uh, you can find us, um, Beholder to No One on Twitter or Facebook, and we are pretty much where our podcasts are, as Spotify and iTunes and Podbean, I think, are our three most popular options. So feel free to visit those and leave a review on iTunes if you watch us. Yeah, definitely go give um, Beholder to No One uh, a listen. Uh, We actually appeared on an episode of yours that would have gone up last week um, where we have a chat to both Nikki and Greg about some of our favorite um, experiences at the table. So um, definitely go check that one out as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you for being with us. And um, Yeah, we loved having you on the show. Really appreciate um, having you come on to have a chat. No problem, that was great. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can also find us on our social media with the links in the description. Until next time, stay scaly.